Good morning, everybody. Good to have you here. We've been going through a study in John, and we're on verse 14, and that passage says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, for the for beginning last week, all the way up until Christmas Eve, we're going to take a look at events leading up to the birth of Christ, with the birth of Christ being on Christmas Eve. I'll cover that message. But for today, I'm going to take one out of the book of Luke. So if you want to turn to Luke, I'll read our passage for today. It's in Luke chapter 1, beginning in the 26th verse. Luke 1 and 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, Therefore, also, that one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, And the angel departed from her. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before your throne of grace and we thank you, Lord, for this reading of your scripture. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for your abiding presence. We pray for the services before us this morning, that you would be honored and glorified through them. That, Father, you would speak to the hearts of those that are here, that your grace would be extended to them, that you would bring comfort and peace uh, to them. And Lord, for those that are in a struggle or conflict or problems right now, that God, they would look to you for that peace and grace in their life. And Lord, that you would grant it. We do pray. And Lord, if there's one here that does not have Christ, that they might embrace him today as their Lord and Savior. So Lord, we just give you this time, this service that follows and I ask that you be honored and glorified through it. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. At this time, we'll go ahead and release the children.
Uh, if you got a child that's age four through fourth grade, they can go out this door to my left, your right, and they go to Children's Church, a uh, little power hour thing they have for the kids. And if you don't, if you're new or visiting and you'd like to know where those kids are going, you're welcome to go and find out where to pick them up from, and we'll drop them off there. So we'll do that at this time. I got it. I didn't see who it was, but it closed. Someone got it. Good morning, everybody. We're going to take a look today, as I stated, we're going to take a look at beginning in verse 26, this part of the Christmas story as it relates to Mary and how God chose Mary and all that is involved in that and uh, see how this thing plays out for her in this part of the story. We looked last week at the prophecies and the types that related to Christ. And so this week we're going to look at the choosing of Mary as a mother of Jesus. So let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the word, please. Father, we come this morning and we pray for this part of the service. We ask God for your blessings upon it. Pray for your divine guidance, Lord, and direction. Pray that you'd grant that to me as I teach your word and keep me from error and help me to rightly divide your word of truth, explain it clearly and accurately, and that your people would receive that word with gladness of heart. For it's in Christ's name we pray, Lord. Amen. Begin here, and you see, kind of see the setting of the story. In verse 26, it says, Now it was in the sixth month that the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Well, the first question I had was the sixth month of what? What is the sixth month referencing here? Well, if you read on a little further and you look over into verse 36, you'll see it referenced again. And what it's doing is it's marking the birth of Christ from that of John the Baptist. It says in verse 36, Now indeed... Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And so what he's talking about here is, is after this whole incident with John the Baptist, which is what the uh, Scripture is referencing in verses 11 through 25, it's talking about the conception of John the Baptist, then it talks about the sixth month, so it was in the sixth month of that that the angel Gabriel came to see Mary. Actually, the text says the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, if you know anything about the Christmas story and about this part of the Christmas story, if you've studied biblical literature, one of the strong arguments that uh, unbelievers have about the Bible and the validity of the New Testament, and even a person of Jesus Christ, is that they'll make the claim that the city of Nazareth did not exist because there is no reference in the Old Testament to the city of Nazareth. It's never mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. There's no reference at all to it. And, and then you could have heard of the New Testament, and you see that Jesus is going to come out of the city of Nazareth. He's going to actually spend 30 years of his life there. And so many people say, 
You know, Jesus was born and raised in a city that didn't even exist in biblical times. That's what they say. But archaeological evidence has proven that there was a city in Nazareth that did exist. And even if the archaeological evidence didn't prove it, the New Testament says it. That's good enough for me, okay? I'm just giving you the, the background and what people say because you'll, that's one of their big, quote-unquote, strong points, which is just yet another straw man for their false argument against God. It says it was born in the region of Galilee. Now, this, this area is about 70 miles north of Jerusalem, okay? The region of Galilee would be unique for this reason. That region was referred, to, was referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles because the majority of the people that live in that region were Gentiles. So it would be highly unusual for God to choose a woman from that city and from that region. But yet, when you understand the Bible... One of the things you understand about the Bible is God has a way of doing things that you would never expect. God has a way of choosing things that you would never choose. God has a way of bringing about events that you would never think he could bring about. God has a way of doing his thing. And that's exactly what he's doing here. Matter of fact, you look in the Gospel of John and when Jesus is calling his disciples, you go to John 1 and when he's talking to Philip and Nathaniel, it says this, this is the following day, uh, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And verse 44 says, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So you see here that it was in their mindset, Nazareth was an was a insignificant little place, insignificant, unimportant little town. And yet that's exactly where God has gone to choose the woman that's going to bear the Christ child. And when you understand God and the way God works, I think Isaiah chapter 55 sums it up as, as good as any text that I've read. Isaiah 55 and verse 8 and 9, Scripture says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You go to the New Testament and you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and you'll see some very similar statements. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and I'm going to begin uh, in verse 22. 1 Corinthians 1.22 says this, for Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 
because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, God flips the tables on them and does something you would never expect, goes to a little small town and finds a poor girl who lives in this virtually unknown city to bring about the greatest man that ever lived. You see how God just flips that whole thing around, takes something totally insignificant, boom, puts it on the map, just like that. And Nazareth is known, and Jesus lived in Nazareth for 25, 30 years and was known as Jesus the Nazarene. Or he was referred to as Jesus of Nazareth, and that was done over seven times throughout the New Testament. That's what he was referred to as. There's another passage of Scripture that talks about how God pulls all this together. If you want to go look at Matthew and go to the second chapter of Matthew, I'm going to show you a, a verse of Scripture. Matthew 2.23. And just show you how God is able to orchestrate this whole thing. In 2.23 says this, and he came, talking to Jesus, and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. All right. Now, when you read that passage, as it's, as it's translated there, you'll notice where it says, he shall be called a Nazarene is in quotations marks. Now, if you have a King James version, it won't be. Uh, and there's a few other translations where it's not. In the original, that is not a quote right there, okay? That, that right there was put in by the biblical interpreters. When they translated the Bible, they added those quotation marks and put that there. there and, it, and it looks, when you read it, as if there's a passage in the Old Testament that says, he shall be called a Nazarene. But yet there is no Old Testament passage that says that. And the structure of that sentence makes it appear that way. So what is he talking about when he says, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets? He shall be called a Nazarene. Well, that which was spoken by the prophets is what Matthew has already covered here in chapter 2. And let's take a look at that. You're going to see three different prophecies that the prophets gave. And in Matthew 2 and 5, you will see a quotation of a prophecy from Micah 5, 2. And it says, So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler 
who will shepherd my people, Israel. And yet, Christ was born in Bethlehem. Okay, so that prophecy was fulfilled. It was spoken by the prophet 700 years before the birth of Christ in the book of Micah. You'll see the second prophecy, verse 14 of this same chapter. It says, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt I called my son. Now that's a prophecy of Hosea 1.11. So that's the second prophecy that was fulfilled. Then you get down to the third one, which is verse 17. It says, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, Lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Now, that's a, that prophecy there is out of the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. All right. So what you have is you have in this one chapter, you have Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And then Herod killing all the children until they got to flee to Egypt. And then here at the very end of the chapter, they come back to live in Nazareth, okay? So you think in one chapter, you see all these prophecies. Jesus had to move all the way across the country to fulfill each one of these prophecies. And so when you get to this 23rd verse, it says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, okay? In other words, what was spoken by the prophets? Those three prophecies, going to Egypt, the children being killed, and being born in Bethlehem, was fulfilled by the prophets. And then it says, he shall be called a Nazarene. So see, that, that reference, what was spoken by the prophets, is referencing what Matthew has already said that he'd be called a Nazarene is because now he's back in Nazareth and that's where he's going to live. Okay, that's not a quotation of some Old Testament prophecy because it was not prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be a resident of Nazareth. Okay, Nazareth is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. And so what it's a reference to is he moved all over the place and now he's living in Nazareth and he was going to be called a Nazarene as a result of that, okay? That's what that prophecy is doing. But yet again, it shows you what extents God goes through to fulfill the prophecy to where you look at how could this happen and all these events take place and all of a sudden Luke lays it out for you, goes boom, 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 just like this. God uses the wickedness of this, of this Herod to drive them down to Egypt, fulfill a prophecy, babies are killed, fulfill a prophecy, born in Bethlehem, fulfills a prophecy, comes to reside in Nazareth, going to be called a Nazarene. All comes together. So when you look back here at our text for today, it says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. i tell you something else you can pull out of this passage, man. As obscure as Nazareth is, and, the, and God chooses to use a poor little girl that lives in that city, be the mother of Jesus, what's that tell you? It should tell you this, man, there's nothing insignificant in the plan of God. 
Nobody is unimportant in the plan of God. God. God can choose to raise up anyone to greatness. If he can go to the city of Nazareth and raise this young lady up to become the mother of Jesus, the greatest man that ever lived, think about what he can do with your life. Think about what he can do for you. No matter how insignificant you may be, God can do great things. It says he comes to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, this whole virgin thing here, it's used twice in this one verse. The word virgin is, and it drives home the point of her being a virgin. It makes it very clear because this is a fulfillment of the prophecy we looked at last week in Isaiah 7:14 that says, Behold, a woman will be with child. And the word there I told you in the Hebrew, Alma, means a young woman, but it can also mean virgin. It can mean one or the other. And unbelievers often will take that and say, well, she was just a young woman. She had other kids and all. You know, they go through this whole thing trying to discredit the virgin birth, what they try to do. But if you go read that Old Testament in the Septuagint, which was written at least 250 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, they translated the word virgin in, in Isaiah 7.14 with the Greek word parthenos. The Septuagint, in case you don't know, is a Greek translation of the Hebrew. And so when they went in her 250 years before the birth of Christ, they translated it as virgin. Very clear, that's what he was intending to say. Plus, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke writes virgin twice in this one verse. To be a virgin meant she had not been with a man. That's why when you get over here uh, and, and, they, and they start and she starts talking, look at verse 34. It says, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? You say, well, you mean she lived her life and didn't know a man anywhere in the world? She just hung around women? I mean, that's old country boy interpretation, you know. Imagine that, man, a girl, she's a virgin and she ain't ever even known a man in her whole life. What that means is she hadn't had sexual relationship with a man. And she's puzzled by that, is the idea. She's confused by how is this all going to take place. But it also says something else about her in verse 37 or 27. It says she was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, betrothal was something very unique in their culture. We don't have it today. The closest thing we'd have would be what we called an engagement, okay? But under Jewish law, a betrothal lasted, usually lasted a year. A betrothal could only be ended with a divorce. And the man and the woman in the betrothal were referred to as husband and wife. So it's like a pre-marriage, but they didn't have sexual relations together, okay? So what they would do is they would betroth the man would go and build their house or prepare the place that they were going to live in. It gave him a full year to do that. And then they would go and they would live there. Okay. So to be betrothed carried the same weight as being married. So if something happens in this relationship and they break this up, it's the same thing as a divorce for her is what it is. That's why it's so serious. And her and Joseph are already viewed as man and wife, okay? But it says something else about them. 
says they're of the house of David. Both of them were. They were descendants of David. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And so you see him saying a couple times here in verse 28, highly favored one, blessed are you among women, you have found the favor of God. This passage of scripture here is one of the passages that's used uh, by Catholics to say or to speak to uh, the fact that Mary was a perpetual virgin or that she had divinity and Many times they will refer, or they do refer to her as a co-redemptrix, meaning she's equally can save just as equal as Christ can, stuff like that. And they use this passage here. What does this mean that she's highly favored? Blessed are you among women, and how does she find favor with God? Well, what it doesn't mean is this: there was nothing intrinsic within Mary that brought the favor of God into her life. She found favor with God because God's hand was put upon her. That's where the favor came from. The idea of favor with God is the same word as grace. And so what it's saying is she received the grace of God or the grace of God was granted to her. She received the favor of God is what it's saying. It's the same thing as used of Noah. Back in the book of Genesis, it says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't that Noah did something that brought God's grace or favor into his life because it's, some places it's translated favor, some places grace. Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. He found grace because God granted grace to him, okay? Mary was favored because God's favor was put upon Mary or his favor was introduced into her life, okay? Mary was a sinner just in much of a need of a Savior as any of us. As a matter of fact, she even confesses that. If you'll look in verse 46 of this chapter, of, of Luke chapter 1, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So see, she references God as her Savior and acknowledges that. So when we talk about having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Well, I mean, if you can imagine an angel comes in to you, your little girl living in a very small rural setting, and all of a sudden this angel comes and says, you're going to bear the child of God. That would bother you somewhat. It would trouble you. Not just an angel talking to you, but all that that's involved in it. And, he, and then the angel says this, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he 
will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? How, I mean, how can I? I'm a virgin. How can I have a child? How can this possibly be? Well, it's going to be a virgin birth. Now, how can a virgin birth or why? What is the significance of a virgin birth? Because there are many people in Christendom that struggle with that and say, well, you know, and they go on to some cornball explanation to, uh, to avoid the virgin birth. What's the significance of the virgin birth? Well, it's very clear the sin of Adam is passed through the male. Males bring the sin of Adam into the person and we are born in sin. We are born in a depraved nature. As David said, in sin did my mother conceive me, meaning I am conceived in sin. And so what God does with the God-man, Jesus Christ, he is 100% deity, undiminished deity. He's full God. He's creator. He's preexistent. He's eternal God. He is a member of the, the triune Godhead. And what he does is when he comes into the world, he is incarnated. He is placed in a human body. But that human body is without sin. See, God could not be put in a human body if a human body had sin. It couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. And so what God does to get around that, Mary's conception is from the Holy Spirit. It's God places the seed in the woman. And she brings forth a child. So what you have here is you have 100% man without sin, 100% God and undiminished deity in one person, or what you refer to as the God-man, or the only begotten of the Father. Unique individual, unique person, one-of-a-kind type of a person. And so that's what the angel says in verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. All right. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Now, why do you think he brings up Elizabeth? He's saying, look, the birth of John is going to be a miraculous birth. The birth of your son, Jesus, is going to be a miraculous birth. Why? For with God, nothing will be impossible. God's going to bring about his will and purpose. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are very difficult to understand. You don't understand how could this be? How is this going to come about? Trust me, if God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it, folks. Nothing is impossible for God. When you are the sovereign being over all creation and the creation exists by your power and through you and for you, there is nothing that God cannot do. Now, you zero that down and what that also means is this. There is nothing in your life that God can't deal with. Okay? That, that passage right there should bring comfort and strength to you. This whole passage should be. It doesn't matter how unimportant or insignificant you may be to people in the world. It doesn't matter how big of a problem you face. 
With God, it's all possible because God uses the unimportant. God uses what man rejects and God can do whatever he desires to do in a person. For with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. He can bring it about. And I don't care how dark it may look with God. It's all possible. And so what's Mary say? Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What you have there is you have the submission and faith of Mary. All right. God didn't force himself into Mary's life. Mary agreed. She said, yes, I will do that. I will do it. There were other poor women born of the tribe of David that could have been chosen in that land, but that's the one he chose right there. And she responds in faith. She agrees to it. She says, I will be your handmaid. I will submit and I will do this and I will bring this child. That's a big step of faith, folks, because there's a very high likelihood that people could look at her being pregnant during a betrothal period and she would be stoned. It's a huge leap of faith for her to agree to this, for her to submit to this and to allow this to take place in her life. But what you see in this Bible story, this Christmas story, is you see how God takes and orchestrates his plan, how he weaves his plan together and how if you looked at all these isolated incidents and isolated prophecies, you would probably in your mind think, how in the world can God bring all this about? And boom, he brings it together and it comes together quick. The pieces fall into place and everything is arranged. You think of all the events that had to be moved around for these events to happen exactly the way they did. It tells you in the book of Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son into the world. God's timing and plan is always perfect, is what it is. And so you have the story of Mary, who is going to have the Christ child. And Mary, what does she do after this event? She goes and tells Elizabeth, and then she sings a song to God and prays for what's taking place in her life. We celebrate Christmas every year, folks, but probably the greatest thing about Christmas is this. That you and I, just like Mary, have found favor in the sight of God. And how we found favor in the sight of God? God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God demonstrates to us his love. And this story right here, folks, is the beginning of the greatest love story in the history of mankind. About how God can be betrayed by his creation and yet he loves his creation so much that he carries out a plan whereby he dies on behalf of his creation to redeem them from their sin and bring them back into a right standing with him. God's perfect plan being worked out. That's the miracle. That's the beauty of Christmas. And that's the magic of Christmas is that God came into the world to redeem mankind. He came for that reason. He said, I've come that I might lay my life down a ransom for many. And that's what he does. He gives his life up on behalf of his creation. So when you celebrate Christmas this year, think about the events that God brought about to come into Mary's life, to bring about this miracle, 
to bring about this birth of Jesus Christ. And understand this, no matter what you face in life, no matter how insignificant you may think you are in life, in the eyes of God, all things are possible when you put your trust and faith in Him. And that's the encouragement and challenge from the message today. Put your hope, your trust, your faith in God because He can do what's impossible. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in prayer thanking you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for this miraculous story, Father, the beauty of the birth of Jesus Christ when he came into the world, something we celebrate even to this day. And Father, I just pray that, that we would keep those thoughts in our mind and, and remember, Father, what this is really about. At this time of the year for us is that our Savior came. He was born. But he was born so that he could die and die for our sin, be buried and raised again. And Father, I pray if there's one in here who's never received that gift, that they might receive that gift today. And that gift is the gift of eternal life that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for all you've done. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.